0: Hello friends, my name is Steve, and we are here today for the Friday Conversation, Episode 79, I think. 79. <laughs> so thanks everyone for being here, and we'll go around the room and have everyone introduce themselves. Uh, Johnny, will you start us off, please?
1: I'm Jenny Wirtz, author, illustrator, and really happy to be here in company of my fellow people from the Page-Chewing Forum.
0: Nice, glad you made it. And Susanna?
2: Hello, my name is Susani Maginariu. I write weird mythological fantasy. And uh, I think this is my first page-chewing um, episode. So I'm very happy to be here talking to Paul, also from page-chewing.
0: <laughs> Glad you can make it. And uh, Jared? Hi,
3: I'm Jared from uh, the Fantasy Thinker YouTube channel and, um, and
0: uh, page-chewing uh, Blog and form. Very good stuff, and Jose.
4: Hi, I'm Jose, who is manages the jose's Amazing World's channel, and usually you can also be found lurking around the page, between forms. And I'm very, very grateful to be here. Thank you. Steve.
0: Great, now yeah, it's great to have you. And Paramita came back for another uh, back for another week. I'm glad we didn't scare you away. Uh, hello, everyone.
5: Uh, I'm Paramita. Uh, I'm just a regular reader and uh, I'm a member of the Patreon forum and this is my second appearance.
0: I guess it wasn't too bad, right? <laughs> Glad you can make it again. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, so Susanna, you recently started your YouTube channel. I wanted to hear your thoughts on what that experience has been like as an author going into into YouTube and starting your own channel. What, what has that been like?
2: Um, busy um yeah it was a lot more work than uh than i thought it would be and i'm already behind the schedule yeah it's completely unrealistic but it's it's been fun <laughs> it's it's been a lot of fun uh i get to talk to amazing people regularly and uh ramble about things it's been great
0: it is a lot of work yeah, yeah a lot of time. seriously
2: I've, I need to reorganize
3: everything and lower my expectations. Yeah, I, I've been I've been at it for I don't know eight eight months now, nine months, and uh, I'm just having fun with it. I'm not trying to I don't try to stress myself out with getting stuff out or what have you. Um, and I have uh, I like to call it serious fun, you know you put you put your effort into it you do what you can and you have fun with it and uh i've uh and then i've gotten to through that i've gotten to meet you know great people like you so it's been really uh rewarding in that manner
1: You have more listeners than you know. I don't subscribe, but I listen to you guys and you'll never know I was there because right now my Google account won't let me log in without giving way more personal information than I want to. They want to tie it to my cell phone and I don't get reception here at my house. So it's kind of hard to say, well, we'll send you a text because I'd be five days later before I got to it. But yeah, I really enjoy your, your channel, Jared. It's, it's fabulous.
3: Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> I, I don't
4: know if you guys have found, but I looked at the, the I think the analytics of my channel the other day, and 87% of my viewers are non-subscribers. Oh. So I, I, I don't know if that's a general thing or no, but I like guess it's, it's, I mean, Ultimately, uh, I don't really care, but it's kind of frustrating. Like, oh, like you know, if only half of those known subscribers subscribe, I would reach my thousand milestone, and I'll be happy. And you know, that's that's how I can shut it down <laughs> and go away. You know. But,
3: <laughs> I don't even know how to look that up. <laughs>
1: I, I
4: was thinking the same thing. But I <laughs> <understand>. <laughs> don't
0: don't look, don't look at that stuff. Don't look. It's so yeah. depressing. It's <laughs> so depressing. Don't look at it. Just. Just enjoy it, because if you get too deep in the weeds with it, you look at like views and retention, and when people click off, it's just it can get really get in your head, and, and like like, <laughs> just yeah. like, it's, it just gets it goes to a different place if you get too. But
4: deeper. you know, when you make um, a longer video, like a twenty-minute book review or or some commentary or something, and you watch the average watch time per viewer, it's like one and a half minutes. It's like. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Why bother?
1: Yeah. And we'll see there on my head because I'm drawing at the same time as I'm listening. So I'll just let the thing run. And if I really like you, I'll let the ads run so you get the money. (laughs) Because I'm drawing. So if it takes time, I could be all day listening to you guys. But when I'm writing, I can't listen to you at all. So I do it now while the artwork is front and center.
4: Um, Sorry to steal the conversation. I'll because johnny mentioned about the google security and all your details and all the stuff have you guys started watching the new season of black mirror no
1: (laughs) i can't stream so uh
4: the 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 very first episode is about a woman who goes home one night and in netflix there's a documentary about her life like literally her day at work is that night's episode oh and nice and it turns out that in the last terms and conditions for whatever it was she just accepted and in there they said that they could listen to audio conversations track you and turn it into a TV show and it's sort of taking the whole privacy thing to be extreme and that's
1: why I keep my settings shut off so my browser can't access and that was a problem. Remember that, Steve? We couldn't figure out my camera wouldn't work. It's because I had the security settings, so the camera was shut down. The browser couldn't get in it.
0: Yeah, what's what's funny? But yeah, that, that's horrible. Yeah, is it, what's what's funny is that like the like the Amazon Echo, people have those in their homes and they run their smart homes or whatever off, or just play music for me or whatever, and they listen to all of your conversations, like they the amazon offices swap people's conversations and their own private you know what happens in their homes it's wild and people know this and they still get it it blows my mind but yeah it's a thing
4: yeah it's like that famous photo of mark zuckerberg who had taped over the camera and the microphone of his own computer and he's like oh okay so so there might be some truth to all these stories and
2: I tape my camera, but it's only because I sometimes I'm recording stuff and I forget that it's on and God knows. It's, I just uh, you know, calmer or not too concerned when I when I see a tape. I don't know. it's Crazy, I know.
4: Anyway, <laughs> I, I, I quite recommend that. Well, the whole Black Mirror thing is quite brilliant, like from season one, but the the latest one is quite good as well. So you guys having? checked
3: it out give it a go yeah is it episodic is it like a it's self-contained episode. self-contained yeah right okay that's interesting yeah like a twilight zone type of thing
4: yeah it's i mean it's called black mirror for a reason it's sort of taking aspects of society and taking them to the extreme um but it's kind of like an orwellian sort of dystopia where potentially you could see society going there and he's kind of showing you where we don't really want to go, but we could end up um, so it can be quite, it, it does get you to think um, about many aspects of social media, particularly social media these days. Sure. Yeah. And stuff like that.
0: I really enjoyed the credit system one, the um, season two or three, I forget which one, The where they have a credit system and it's
4: yeah. <laughs> Is that like your credit score is tied up to your social media? So if people don't like you, your credit score goes down, and then yeah, you cannot get a taxi or you cannot go into certain places. And yeah, but they got something along those lines. Those lines in China already, I think. So yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not as crazy as we would like to think. The whole series is.
0: Scary.
1: Well my god People can't even take a bad review What were they going to do If they have to worry about people not liking them Just feed your paranoia Some fire <laughs> Pour gas on it Yeah,
2: wow. yeah. well, I, I can't see that happening The way things are going
1: I grew up with a lot of brothers and sisters So I learned not to care about that stuff A long time ago It got hammered into my head real young Trying to please everybody never
0: works. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to get everyone's thoughts on that because the big, the big, uh, I don't know, the week, the this week's, uh, whatever fight is. Uh, in a nutshell, from what I understand, is there was a reviewer who released a review of a, of a I think, an extreme horror book. The it was a negative review of the author saw it, and the author dedicated the ne- his next book to her. And obviously, you know, to in a mean-spirited way, and you know, to like get back at her or whatever, it was my understanding, um, because of the bad review. So, I guess there's an there's an argument now over when when authors should respond. And also, I think there's there should be a conversation about etiquette of just being respectful as if you are leaving a review to to make it personal. To not that this reviewer did that, but just in general. Um, just to be kind to ever kind to each other even if a book isn't for you that's fine but just I it think it's important just remain civil but wanted to get everyone's thoughts on that
1: I listened to a really beautiful segment of a speech made at a uh, commencement this week there was a clip somebody posted it up and popped up in my YouTube feed and the speaker was talking about how to separate the idiots from everyone else. And he made a lot of jokes about it, but it, his final line really made sense. He said, I look at the ones who are cruel. Because when they're cruel, they're doing it to harm. Why are they doing it to harm? Probably because they never shut down their survival instinct. They never evolve past the differences that might threaten them. So he said, the kindest person in the room is going to be the one that overrode that sense of destroy it because it's different and they're the ones you can trust and I thought that was an interesting metric I had never heard that one before so yeah it goes both sides the authors that are cruel to the reviewers and the reviewers who are cruel unnecessarily to the authors so there's a different metric by which I'd never seen to measure
2: Mm -hmm. yeah I yeah, I I agree. That's a, that's actually quite a nice way to put it. I, I mean, the people are, are going to be shit to each other. Authors are crap reviewers, reviewers to authors. Is the problem is there's not a lot of communication. And I think as an author, and then I kind of skimmed through the through the post earlier. Um, yeah, I've, I sometimes I would like to reply, just. Um, not to criticize or correct but sometimes i really would like to ask like i I had a review that still puzzles me it was a while back um it started very well it it, you know it could it it had references to the book nothing that would go beyond the the first few pages or the blurb but then it it started talking about situations in the book that, that don't exist um, to the point where I was wondering maybe the reviewer got confused and this is a review for a different book or maybe it's remembering the, the plot of another book, which it could have happened. I really wanted to ask, you know, honestly, are you sure that that review is for this book? but I, I couldn't I didn't know how to ask because any way I would put it, it would come as a, a criticism or an attack. And uh, yeah, sometimes, it would be nice to ask those questions or just, you know, say something. I, I've heard that people sometimes get worried when the author likes the the, the review, even just a like uh, on Goodreads, and they get, oh no, he's seen the review or something. Um, I, I I don't get it. I mean, I would like to interact more with with my readers on that level, and I can't. It's a bit frustrating sometimes.
1: Well, you know, if the if somebody reviews a book and they get the book wrong and it's not the fault of the book that the text in the book was perfectly clear and most of the other readers get it, you don't need to defend that. The book defends itself. The person who wrote that and didn't read carefully is obviously not paying attention. So, just let the book defend itself. Just stand back and let it happen.
2: You know, I I have those two. Those are fine. But it's just sometimes I would, in that case, I would really like to ask, are you sure? You know, just. And you need one of these.
1: What's that? It is an F bomb, okay? It's a Nerf, and you can throw it at the screen (laughs) (laughs) and not damage your equipment. (laughs) Yep. You need one of these. Taking notes. (laughs) Yes.
0: And for those uh, those listening, in, uh, Jenny's holding up a little, like a little, there's like a, little, like a little, like a.
1: It's a nerf, a nerf, a Nerf ball that's made like a grenade with a fuse and it has a big red F stitched on it in red ribbon. <laughs> it's an F-bomb, you know.
0: Right, it looks like a, it goes on a Christmas tree, like have a, a Christmas tree with F-bombs on it. but. Yeah.
1: No, it was sent to me by another author. Yeah. <laughs> who understood what happens when you get a, and somebody saying something and yeah they didn't read it correctly or they were out in la la land or they were injecting something into their veins you don't know and you know what you don't have to care but that's what one of these is for nice you can also throw it at the cats not harm them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I- You know, I I would wonder, too, just even like Suzanne I mentioned, just kind of maybe asking for feedback, just in a what would you have or maybe asking for specifics or just a way to to just kind of get feedback from a reader that can I think in in, especially in text, just reading a message can I think most people would feel like it like it's a combative response, even though it may be just the author saying, hey, can you explain to me what you didn't like about this or what what word choice or whatever it may be? So it's, it's tough to, to get honest feedback sometimes without someone feeling defensive unnecessarily. You may not mean it for it to be combative.
1: Back in the days when you didn't have an internet and they used to write you letters and they would come in your mailbox or your publisher would forward them to you because there wasn't self-publishing then. I got two very nasty letters and I decided that I wasn't going to challenge these people or be mean to them. But they took their time to spend their postage and in pen and ink, write me a letter about how much they hated this story. So I said, okay, I'll write them back. And I wrote, dear so-and-so, thank you very much for letting me know how you felt about my book. And I completely respect your opinion. And I appreciated hearing from you. And I mailed it back. The fascinating thing was both of them wrote me again. One of them apologized to me profusely and said, I was really having a terrible day, and I took it out on you. had nothing to do with your book. I just felt really crappy, and I was going to lash out at something. So I realized, you know, that person was having a worse day than I was and didn't really mean it. They were just hammering on somebody who wasn't there to relieve their feelings. The second person wrote me an elaborate letter about how as a young girl, her father had come down on her so hard for doing all of the things that I did with language in my story, that she learned never, ever, ever to do that again, that it was bad and it was terrible. And how dared I, and it was nothing about me. It was all about somebody was nasty to her for expressing herself and the scar was so deep Here was me getting away with it, and she had to put me back in the box with her to justify where she had boxed her own self in. So that really taught me sometimes there's a huge reason why those reviewers are being the way they are, and they'd never let you see that. But defending yourself against their review is only going to put them into more misery. So I let it go. But that was my most illuminating experience you know to see what's on the other side of the fence you can't know it could be somebody eight years old having a tantrum
2: Mm -hmm. but you wouldn't know if you hadn't replied again there should be more communication or people should be more open to communication it just seems that it just goes one way Mm -hmm. so no one
5: learns i just wondering wondering
4: I was wondering
5: if I could chime in a bit as purely as a reader and not as an author at all. Um, So first, just in terms of reading reviews, if uh, the review is not about the book and it mentions the author, I discard it irrespective of whether it's a positive review or a negative review. If someone says, oh, my God, I love this author so much and this book is amazing, I'm like, sorry. I mean, it doesn't mean anything. And similarly, this author is terrible because they did X. Ex- hence, I will not that I will not support it by blah, blah, blah. blah this thought. Uh, personally, as a reader, I believe in. Complete separation of the art and the artist. And so. For me, the work is separate and the author is separate. separate. I am one of those people who would freak out if the author author liked my review. I'm not comfortable comfortable with it at all. all. (laughs) 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 Okay. (laughs) I'm so sorry, but for me, the author is one person and the work is one person. And once the work is released out into the world, it belongs to me and other readers. Up to the so point the it is point published, published, it is with the author, it is the, the author. author. But the once author, it is out for public author, consumption, it's like consumption it's I think it's mine. And, mine. and regarding, regarding communicating with authors, with authors regarding, with regarding their, their work, their work my position my is position 70, is to, 80 70 to 80 percent of the authors I read, the authors read are dead. Read are
2: dead. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you see, once so you publish the review, it's out there. So it becomes yes. public, yes. and the yes. author yes. is part of the public. is reading your review. So why can't they like the review? You know, you put your work out there for everyone. The, you no, know, it's not. are not going to block the author so he can't read it. So you see, it it goes back and forth. It should. It's a cycle.
5: Sure, but the person I gave a five star to Lord of the Rings. Tolkien is never going to see that. that. I'm never going to know how Tolkien feels about it.
1: I will never like a written review, and I don't respond to reviews at all on written review sites. I do respond to the people who record and talk about my work. I will thank them. Even if it's not positive, I will thank them because the recording, the editing, the going through the whole process, and then they are putting their face in front of the public talking about the work. And I thank them for that because the amount of effort that they put into it is huge. Mm -hmm. But as far as written reviews, stuck up on Goodreads or any on Amazon, I never like any of that. I just leave that completely alone.
3: These um, reviews, um, how many of them are just quick, actual, just little blurbs as compared to an actual extensive review? um, I'm not familiar with Goodreads, so I don't know what's up there. But um, uh, how many people actually put up, put out a review that has, you know, has some meat behind it rather than just a, you know, a paragraph or something like that? It's a blurb.
1: Sturgeon's law. You get all kinds and ninety percent of anything, so it's it's all comers.
2: Yeah, that's a bit so, of every saying. There's one-word oh, okay. reviews and there's you know short stories. Um,
3: yeah, because yeah, well, a one-word is not a review. It's just somebody. It is know.
1: according to Goodreads. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay.
3: Which is
2: very handy for you know people like me that <laughs> just writing sentences. still cut.
3: Okay. All right. I'm just curious. No, uh, no, it's not
2: the review. It's it's a comment on the it's book, you know, proper yeah, right, reviews. Yeah. But there are plenty of proper reviews, you know? Most reviewers and bloggers post some good reads, I think. At least the ones I know.
4: I, think-
5: I don't do reviews at all. I just do star ratings. Hmm. So, book good, book meh, book bad. And if I don't rate it, then it's just book read. I don't do star ratings. I just put comments. Okay. Yes, yes, I, I have read your reviews.
4: <laughs> I think for me, there are, there are levels. And I think there's two aspects. I think like Janine and Susanna mentioned, once your book is out there, if I have paid for it, and I, I usually do, I, I always do, I haven't got a free book from any author. Um, actually, that's not true, one of them. But anyway, the point being, um, if the book is out there, and i paid for it, I can say whatever I want about that book. I've got the right to say so whether I like it or not. i paid for it. It's there. But I think there are levels. So, like, I can crap all over the wheel of time, as I have done <laughs> repeatedly over my life. But A, Robert Jordan is not going to care, and he's already sold 100 <laughs> million. He's, you know, he's fine. He's not going to care that little me with a 600 subscriber channel craps all over the wheel of time. However, recently someone requested that I read their book, some indie author, and I couldn't get past page 40. And I've been holding back from reviewing the book because potentially my impact on that author is far greater than what it could be on Robert Jordan. And even though I didn't like the book, it didn't work for me, and my reviews tend to be 99% of the time polite and reasoned, I'm holding back from publishing a negative review because of the impact it will have on the author potentially. Um, and, and I think, um, you know, you can be respectful and still not like something I have the right to say, why? And like Johnny said, uh, hopefully the, the person on the receiving end would be appreciative that your book didn't work for them for X, Y, Z reasons rather than for personal reasons. I think in all of that, we can all agree, but I, I try not to, because I'm having a bad day. I don't decide to crop over any any book I'm reading. I always try to reason why, but I differentiate who am I reviewing. If it's Robert Jordan, I don't care. But if it's, if I pick one of Susanna's books, or if I pick um, you know, Robert Bone, who I had a conversation with, but these are the person that emailed me. I'm a little, I, tr- I want to be a lot more careful about what I say or don't say. They you, you have a
1: channel, don't you? You have a channel.
4: That's what right.
1: if you didn't give an opinion at all, but just pick a paragraph and read it aloud on your channel and mix it with paragraphs from other books so that one didn't stand out? Then let your viewers decide for themselves. I think that uh, would that would at least give them something for sending sending their postage I don't know that just came to my head I wouldn't recommend that I mean I would never want to feel that a reviewer had to put something up there if I ever gave them a book but that might be one way to just be impartial about it give them a sample
4: uh, yeah I mean it's it's an idea you know it's, it's something I wouldn't have thought about I think sometimes it's a case of of style. I actually emailed this author I said, look, I didn't like it for these reasons. It didn't work for me. Um, but I, th- I think the English, that the writing was sound, it was solid, it was well written. It's just that jumping straight into the action without any description of any kind, without any motivation for the characters, without any background. Like, I didn't know who these characters were. Were they related? Were they just friends? why they did they end up accepting the quest that was imposed on, on them? Is that it was just like action, action, action set piece. You get to page 40 and you're diving into the quest and you don't know anything about the world or the characters and I just couldn't.
1: You know. know, reading is such an individual thing. Let me give you an anecdote about my agent. Or I was on a panel actually, I was moderating a panel with a bunch of agents. And I said, I want to hear about the most regretful situation you ever put yourself in? What was the thing that that you regret the most in your career? And one agent raised their hand and said, I once received a manuscript from Danielle Steele. And I wrote her back and said, lady, you can't write your way out of a paper bag. (laughs) And he said, if I'd only been quiet, I'd be a millionaire. (laughs) So, you know, one person's joy is another person's horror. <laughs> you really can't judge.
4: I, I, I've, I think I've read about three Danielle Steel books that I used to sort of steal from my mum's top shelf, but to, just just to make just prop fun, at them, and, and you know those very contrived and repetitive descriptions of what the males used to look like and and stuff like that. But you know, through some spills, different people get. She sold community. enough
1: copies. Somebody loves it.
4: Yeah. Absolutely. The only time I
1: read a Danielle Steele book was because I was at a family gathering and it was so damn boring. I wanted to hide. And that was the only thing on those people's shelves. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and you were just saying, you know, 40 pages of action, action, action. That didn't work. I'm sure there could be someone listening going like, oh, that sounds amazing. You know, so as, you know, speaking for myself, if i if someone is doing a review and the book doesn't work for them just a simple you know explain well i have this book it doesn't work for me and if they make an accurate description of what it is it's about this this and that and there's an accurate description that even if it's saying doesn't work for me it's not my cup of tea i don't like it someone else might be watching and thinking oh that sounds interesting i mean um even bad reviews can be good you know, as long as you're not attacking the author. Again, along with what Parumita said, um, and I say this a lot, reviewer should review books, not authors. And more and more, there's reviewers reviewing authors, or the two together. They can't differentiate the two. You know, it's the I love this book. You know, you should read it because the author is so nice. Uh, yeah. No, that that is more for me. That makes me very angry. Sometimes.
5: Yeah, that doesn't, I, I mean, I don't understand it at all. And uh, I do agree with Jose that I do the same thing. I One thing is, I, I'm not a content creator at all. So uh, even more, I'm able to revel in my anonymity. But uh, I do have a policy that if a book has uh, less than 500 ratings on Goodreads and my personal rating out of five stars is not four or five, I don't rate it. I just leave it as red because at least it will not pull down the average. I mean, 500 is anyway quite high, but I mean, yeah, the 100 or the 50 reviews kind of things, even nonfiction, I will not rate it. Because who knows which ones other people look at.
1: Personally, I hate ratings... I always have hated ratings because they don't tell you anything. All they do is give you a predisposed, predigested opinion that has nothing to back it up. And I grew up, I guess, differently because there was no internet. There was no public area to go look at reviews or you didn't have this 8 to 80 and all these people. You know, you'd get a newspaper review or you'd get a reviewer who was a professional and often they didn't put their name to it. But it wasn't this general public free for all. And as a result, you relied to pick your books on browsing. You read excerpts, you went to the bookstore, you actually made your opinion, preformed your opinion by the actual words on the page. So you didn't digest somebody else's thoughts on it ahead of time. And if I could set my social media up not to see anything about a book that I was going to buy, Or could I screen everything out on any book I hadn't read yet? I would do it in a heartbeat because I like coming to the page, just me and that book, nobody else in between me and that page. So um, I find today's practice of ratings and reviews all over the place and people putting likes all over it horrible because it stops free thought you don't get to have that clean interaction of how do you actually feel without everybody else's opinion all over it before you've even had a chance to crack the spine.
3: Yeah. It takes a certain um, level of discretion to separate the book you're going to read with if from all the, uh, from all the media surrounding it um, so that you can go into a book, uh, like you said, without, knowing too much about it being surprised by it and and being wowed by the words behind it because i i remember the days of going to the bookstore and browsing you know for what i wanted to read next there was no i had no uh you know no uh pre-information prior to walking into that bookstore and uh sometimes you'd have a really cool cover that would stand out to you no you read the blurb and you hope it's good enough and sometimes um you go towards something that you might be predisposed towards if you've read that author before but uh uh yeah separating the all the uh the stars and the in the, the thumbs ups and all that stuff and making sure that the book you're gonna read is actually what you want to read because i'm very choosy about the books i read i don't uh I don't stray too much. And I, I know, uh, so that's why I I pretty much all my reviews are fairly positive because I know I'm reading something that I want to read. And, um, that's just, uh, that's just always how I've read books.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That walking up the up and down the shelves at the library thousands of books Sure. Yeah. and pulling the one off the shelf and looking at it and actually going, is this something I want to check out and knowing you can only take a stack that you can carry. <laughs> so I miss that. I really, really do. I mean, I um, love social media and I love all of the, everything that's going on. I mean, it's put me in touch with some things I may never have seen, but I miss that clean take.
4: I. I it's something I was talking to my wife about that recently I went to London and i went to forbidden planet which to me is one of the best bookstores in the world and i came back home empty-handed and my wife was like oh didn't you find anything you liked i was like no i found loads but you know i can't spend every you know all, all the money on everything that i that i liked and i remember growing up in a small town in the south of spain for a long time there was only one sci-fi and comics bookstore so Used to go there and the guy got to know you and he would recommend you or oh, check out that comic or oh, check out that book. And I, and I really miss those times of just going to the bookstores and just going through the aisles. And some of the books I've enjoyed the most have been the ones i picked up off a bookstore shelf, not knowing much about it, just reading the blurb, seeing the cover, like, you know, covers are so generic these days, but, you know, um, back in the 80s, those covers were truly works of art by themselves. Um, I always harp on about the Dragonlance series, but you know those covers make calendars for years and years and years. <laughs> um, and um, some of the books I've enjoyed the most have been the ones I didn't know anything about. And my biggest disappointments have been the ones that everyone has harped on about, Brandon Sanderson, the- the Mistborn trilogy or Wheel of Time, when everyone oversells you something, you go in expecting the best things in Lord of the Rings. And inevitably, it just falls short of expectations. Malazan. Some of my favorite Uh. reads,
1: believe it or not, were beyond just browsing and finding something and stumbling over it. Some of my most astonishing favorite reads that have lasted to this day... And it wasn't just because I was young and it was novel or it wasn't just because they were books that I took out of the library and I couldn't go back to the library for another X number of weeks. So I had to read what was there. And I probably started out some of my favorite books and hated them for the first 25%, even 50%, even 75% until I reached the end and I realized, oh, my God the author was doing something amazing and that totally changed my opinion of a book. And so it was the inaccessibility of books that actually forced me to read things that, because there was nothing else available or I got it off my parents' bookshelves and there wasn't a trip to the library because I didn't have a driving license yet. And we had moved and we weren't in walking distance to that library anymore. So often the books that have been the most memorable have been ones that if I had had total free choice and the ability to DNF and stop, I'd have missed completely some of the most amazing reads in my life.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, we didn't have a bookstore, we had a little kiosk, uh, (laughs) just a a few, you know, pulp novels and then one day they got the stuff getting from the penguins classic collection i mean it, it wasn't something that i expected to read but they were there and i could afford them and i needed to practice my english and that's how i started i would read anything even sometimes oh i don't like this one but you keep reading and you find something you'd like you know i think now we are spoiled for choice i am a lot fussier about books and it's it's very easy to oh i'm not enjoying i'm just going to stop here and use the next one because i have a hundred on, on the kiln though. yeah sometimes i miss the old days but i i, I like being spoiled as well so you know, just contradicting <laughs> myself now
5: <laughs>
2: uh i think just speaking choose the best
5: for me it's like interesting i'm totally different to most of you in that i need to know as much about the book as possible before I start reading it. (laughs) You can tell me the whole story. If it's a murder mystery, you can tell me who killed the person. (laughs) And if it's a good book, I would still like it. And if it doesn't work for me, then it's it's usually usually it's like this, but I agree there are exceptions where I mean, one of the exceptions that I remember very fondly was Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, because the first part with the private drive and the Dursley's, I was like, oh, what is this? And then suddenly, Hagrid, like, I'm spoiling Harry Potter, but I hope it's okay. Anyway, the Hagrid crashes the door open, and then, you know, there was magic. So, but that's very rare. I mean, that has rarely happened in my life. Or oh, name of the wind was like that for me after a long, long time because I didn't know exactly what was going to happen. but I liked it a lot, but most of the time now, I try to find out as much about the book as possible before I try it. And with DNFs, I'm a hypocrite. Like, if, if it's a newer title, I DNF faster. If it's a classic, I mean, classic means it's just old, I keep going. <laughs> so many people liked it. Maybe Maybe there is something for me.
1: I keep a baseball bat handy for people who are going to spoil a book, a movie, anything. I don't want to know anything about that book. I don't even want to read the blurb. I want to let the words take me there without any preconception because that is the experience. It's like knowing the end of your life before you get there. (laughs) But we're all different.
4: Oh, yeah
0: uh Parmit, yeah. what, what do you look for when you when you look into a book how do you how do you decide which ones to read and which ones not to uh,
5: which ones to read if people praise the writing uh, a lot and if people I, I mean it depends a bit on the like subgenre but if it's uh, usually the first thing is if people praise the writing a lot if that premise sounds interesting there's something a bit offbeat about it or it's a new take on something which has been done to death but somebody's looking at it differently so something like that other than that sometimes when it's uh, i mean booktubers or reviewers whose writing style i like a lot if they recommend a book or if they have liked a book i immediately pick it up there are some people with whom my reading tastes align and my mom, generally, whatever she recommends, I will at least try. So she was like my reading guide when I grew up. That's it, really. I mean, that's one of the reasons why my Goodreads average is so low. I'm very ready to experiment with almost anything. I'm not uh, too, but, but yeah, I, I just need to know what the book is about before I go. I don't like being surprised too much.
0: Yeah, I'm this. I, I like to go into things not knowing anything, or and if if things something gets spoiled for me, then I'm like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna read that book. I'm not gonna watch that movie because I know how it ends.
2: Yeah, no spoilers for me as well. Uh, if you want to see me upset, yeah, uh, no spoilers. <laughs>
4: Yeah, that uh, with
1: one exception, I could not get through the movie Alien without people who'd seen it five times before to tell me when to hide my eyes.
4: I hate horror. I I had that with Life of Brian. I had a friend that told me so many times to watch that movie, but in the process, he told me every single joke in the movie. So by the time I watched that, was like that was it? That 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 was it. <laughs> What was a boy. I knew every joke, I knew every punchline, I knew every situation. It's like, oh, what a waste. <laughs> i got a question, sorry, for, for Johnny. Because um, obviously you've been in the business for a fair amount of time. You must have seen uh, the changes in the industry. And, and it's my perception from the outside completely. That obviously with um computers and self-publishing being in everyone's reach now. Um, I think I, I I talked to Susanna about it a few weeks ago. But these days there's more people writing, or at least more people being able to put their work out there at a time when people are reading less and less, or well, their attention spans have been compressed by social media. I said at the school that I teach when I was a kid. I used to read fantasy books and there would be a couple of people I could trade books with or have conversations with. These days at school, you see a kid reading, guaranteed he's the only one in class that is carrying a book around. So is that a fair assessment of the situation with this more people trying to publish at a time with maybe declining readership or, or sales?
1: I think it's always been said that Four percent of the people have a hundred percent of the books. And when I was growing up, I would have maybe a couple of friends who were readers and the rest of them were not. I mean that that hasn't changed, that equation hasn't changed, but now there is a great deal of signal to noise and a lot of pressure. Life is more complicated. You know, people are on their phones all the time. They're talking to their friends all the time. You don't have those big blocks of time where you couldn't communicate with anyone and you had to amuse yourself. And I think, you know, now that there's streaming and there's unlimited television, that the, the equation is constantly, constantly shifting. Is it different? I don't know. I watched very traditional times when we had 26 publishers of science fiction and fantasy before all these mergers collapsed. And there was majorly more original work. It wasn't necessarily the work that is remembered now because the press runs were too small and those books have disappeared. But the percentage of authors that got their start at that time, most of them have vanished. They're gone. They're completely forgotten. I've got paper books upstairs that I can guarantee I can mention authors' names you'll never have heard of. And they were doing what would be considered today very modern fiction. But it wasn't the vogue back then. It wasn't what the mainstream reader was reading. So there aren't enough of them for you to be even aware that they were there. So it's always been a cutthroat business. Any kind of entertainment is fickle. So much depends on luck. So much depends on the right timing. So much depends on word of mouth. It's still, word of mouth is still the most powerful driver. So, you know, I don't know. All I can say is it's never been easy. It has never been simple. So now we have lots of people that can roll the dice and try and put their stuff out there. How many are going to be there in 10 years, in 20 years, in 30 years? And my response to that is always to the creator, do it anyway because it isn't up to us who are alive what gets remembered and what doesn't. It's always determined by people after we're dead. And if you don't do that effort, if you don't create what you were born to do, nobody will ever have that story and you've sunk your ship before it even sets sail. So that's my attitude is that it has never been easy And so people looking back and saying it was simple back then, no, it wasn't simple back then. There were still more failures than there were successes. So just do it anyway. Get the stuff out there anyway. Try your luck, because if you don't, you'll never know. And it won't be us. It'll be the next generations after us that determine what survives and what doesn't. So how does it matter? While we're alive, how does it matter? It doesn't. Go back to what Gandalf said. It's how you use the time you're given. That's it. It's your choice.
3: Yeah, I wonder how, um, you know, before the advent of social media and all that stuff, I wonder how many people read because there wasn't another avenue of something to do during those times. Or, um, you know, I have a sense of boredom. Uh
1: i don't see see it as being that different
3: yeah i still see
1: all of my friends and neighbors don't read
3: they don't read exactly well i didn't i didn't read when i was a kid either um i didn't read until i got older like in like like my uh, late teens early 20s and um there weren't that many people in my high school reading either uh there was a few here and there um and i'm today, the percentage like you were talking about the percentages of people reading and I'm wondering if it's similar and I wonder if. If um, some of the media that's, you know, exposes people to these properties might have a uh, a say in whether the people who read books are reading because they're exposed, they're exposed to uh, you know, some of the adaptations and what have you. Um, And if it's, if it's balancing out at all compared to how it used to be.
1: Well, we're ruled by the algorithm. (laughs) Totally.
3: Oh yeah. (laughs) People
1: don't want to acknowledge that, but it's true.
3: Oh yeah. No, Um, absolutely.
1: Here's the biggest shift that I've seen. I don't see a percentage of fewer or more people reading. I see just as few people reading as, as when I grew up. It's not the average person who, who reads extensively. The difference that I see is once you crossed the bar and you got yourself published, which wasn't ne- ever an easy bar, it was never easy. Once you cross that bar, the publisher earned their keep. They had a marketing department. They actually proofread the books. They actually edited the books. They actually worked with your career. They Worked with your books one after the next to establish your career. That's gone. That's just gone. The writer only wrote. So you wrote the book. You turned it in. You did your revisions if you got an edit. Then you did your proofing. Then you enjoyed the fact, here's your book. And the publisher did the job of getting it out there and marketing it and shepherding your career along. Now, pretty much... You're expected to do the marketing too. You're expected to maintain a website. You're expected to maintain social media. You're expected to do your cover reveals. You're expected the list gets longer and longer and longer to the point where practically you're doing all the work, except you're not shipping it to New Zealand, right? I.
2: I well, see. That's why yeah. I chose to
4: self-publish. I see a lot more in the comics industry, because I go to, I try to go to a couple of comic cons at least every every year, particularly when I was in the UK, I would do the circuit. I would do like South, the South of England, Portsmouth, London, and I might go up to Manchester, maybe Birmingham. And you will see the same faces at every con throughout the year, the same indie publishers that were writing, drawing, printing, binding, shipping, and they were peddling their wares all around the country. It's almost like drawing and writing comics is what they did in the spare time between conventions, and I think now authors as well need to be, or aspiring authors need to have that sort of backpacking spirit of, sh- you know, loading your trunk with boxes of your books, go to conventions, sell your wares, put on your marketing cap on, smile to people, and, and do the the marketing that johnny was talking about as well
1: but that's all time you're not going to be writing
4: that's right that's and right see
1: there's the difference you could devote all of your time to writing the books now i didn't enjoy that for very long because the changes started coming very fast and have ac- accelerated tremendously but you know the year when i came on board the phase where you had an editor and you had the same editor for your entire career, you might work with the same editor for 40 years. That was gone by the time I stepped in. So yeah, the changes definitely have been huge and they're coming faster and faster. Now we're, we're facing AI. So they're back to reviewing. How do you know that wasn't an AI written review? You have no idea. (laughs) So why waste your
0: time? Uh, Susanna, you, I know you self-publish uh, your series. What what percentage of time do you spend writing, and what percentage? How what like how is your time divided between writing and promoting and marketing your work?
2: I I always try to prioritize the writing. Uh, that being said, this year I'm not publishing anything. I took the year to just well rest, <laughs> take a break, revise uh, a few projects, and just promote. So right now. I would say 80-20. I still write, but very little. But in, in the beginning, and when I published the first three books, I was pretty much just writing, 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 which was kind of a mistake. I mean, I, I had no following. I did no marketing. I just I thought that if I invested in the books, that eventually, you know, that that would be enough. Because um, I, I don't think I would do a good job promoting myself or my work. I don't have the personality. I for 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 everything I get right, I get like five wrong, and um, yeah. It, so, but to answer your question, um, when I get back on on track, uh, it would reverse. It would be 80 20 percent, but with eighty percent writing, because I think that's the way it should be. And if I if it doesn't sell well, I don't know. I miss writing. <laughs> But, I, but I, I just had to give it a try. I was like, okay, I'm going to dedicate myself to try and sell more
4: books and put myself up there. So we'll see. Yeah, but that, that's what happened to me when I used to write. And I had like three, four books, and I got some kind of co-publishing deal where at least my books, you know, we talked about it. So, so It like, was a guarantee that my books would make it to the shelves of the main bookstores in Spain. By the time I wasn't living here, and it's like, I haven't got the spirit to go out there and put myself out there and do the marketing and, and all that kind of stuff. So that's what stopped me from taking that final leap of faith and, and going after it. Yeah, Because that's, I think that's what's required now. Um, I think it's in You have to put yourself out there. You have to go. Um so I think next time I'm in London to sign up for the Comic Con I expect to see you there with a little stand and a banner <laughs> and...
2: I, I I don't think that's ever going to happen in social media <laughs> and and YouTube channels and uh ads uh that that's as far as I go I I I'm trying to build up the courage to maybe go to Bristol Com I don't know just just to see
4: just you oh, know so just a couple there. of weekends say so yeah you've got Dublin and you've got Bristol just across the to see there, so I'll make yeah. it.
2: The stress, the amount of time, the expense—it's uh, it, not worth it <laughs> at this point. Uh, you know, who knows? Uh, maybe um, one 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 come at a time. I'm I'm really thinking about Bristol Com but uh, so nothing bigger than that.
3: It's it's a tough racket. It's self promotion and stuff like that. It's it's, it's a full time, almost sh- a full time job sometimes.
2: Yeah, it's still crashing, but you know, but it does work. Now, I, even before, even before this year, like um, I, I started noticing whenever I, I would post something about the books or appear to an, an interview or just something else, I would get a spike in sales. If I would just take the week off, not post anything, just focus on my books, I would then go and check the sales. I usually check on weekends because there's no point checking every day, and it would just stop, no sales and then, so i figured well i i need to do something if i want to keep writing <laughs> or if i want to keep publishing i guess there's nothing stopping me writing but um i write so other people can read what i write i just yeah i think stories need to be put out there books are meant to be read it's tough yeah
0: which uh, which platform how do you decide where to focus your attention on marketing was it a website is it a platform is it um you, is it like youtube is it what what do you find is the reaches the most potential readers uh,
2: uh twitter or x uh, i mean that that's why i'm still there um instagram didn't work for me i know it works for a lot of people same with tiktok i guess different audiences uh, you know I, i'm terrified of tiktok are you instagram,
0: a good <laughs> <laughs> I see those dancing videos all the time <laughs> i just
2: it, everything about and uh, no and that's what i i draw the line no but uh i i can't explain why um but yeah the more i tweet the more books i sell i i can see a correlation there facebook yeah uh people there only react to memes pretty much um so, did you ever try recording
1: an extract and putting it up as a podcast? Cause it would be you can feature those in the Apple store for free.
2: Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah.
1: How I have I put stuff, you know, I recorded a bunch of things. This was back in the 90s and put them up as a podcast on Apple. They're probably still there. But yeah, once you've oh. created that and you hash you you tag it. It might give you another front to try can't say it'll work
2: right. but it i will look into it thank you so much for the tip yeah definitely do that i'll, I'll take more suggestions
1: <laughs> you were, were you aware of the weekly quote or weekly word um who is it there's a mass mailing that goes out and it's uh book B, book QW, I think it is. And they provide a work, a word every week, and every Wednesday you select an excerpt of your book and you publish it using that word, and you use the hashtag book qw. And it goes to all the people who are following that hashtag. But I'd have to look up, I mean it's on Twitter, it appears on Twitter that. you see the the author's posting, but you, yeah, you have to look up and get on the mailing list to get the book of the, the, the word of the week. Um, So there's another way to get your excerpts out there under hashtag, because a lot of the authors are using that. Um, So there are little things like that. There's nothing. I've also found if you go on giant book forums and just talk about other books that you love, you talk about other books that you love, nothing else. People will check giant- out your profile. They will check out your profile and they will find your books without you ever mentioning your books at all.
2: Okay. But that but takes I, time.
4: I that. Is it, is it like promoting your book can be a full-time job, isn't it? And like you said before, it's time away from, from writing. It's almost like you need to come up with a schedule. Monday, Tuesday writing. Friday, Saturday is marketing. And you know, fit in your life on Wednesday, Thursday, and Sunday. I don't know. Yeah. If only
2: then my, my, my life worked around that schedule. (laughs) So uh,
1: how do you get your name seen on our fantasy, which is heavily moderated? They won't let you post your own content of any kind. It used to be, I could post you guys booktube channels, but I can't anymore because they take it down because they think I'm, being a sock puppet or something. I don't know, meat puppet, whatever they call it. But what you can do is you can post your written reviews there of books you like. And again, people will check you out. You can also, instead of starting a blog and building it up from no people, write an essay and post it there. You'll get thousands of views the, the topics cycle very, very quickly, but there's usually probably 5,000 people at a time looking at that forum. And if you write an essay a month, you're never going to get 5,000 people in your own personal blog. But because you post your opinions or your essays, that's going to start to build a name, and they will follow you to your social media. They will figure out that you're a writer. They will figure out they like what you have to say. And you'll just start to build... A presence. But yeah, all that takes time. So yeah, why haven't I bothered with a personal blog? Because as an author on Goodreads, I can post my blog there and I can post on a huge forum that has 2 million followers, which our fantasy does. And I will reach more people and I don't have to hold to a schedule. So there's another suggestion you could think about, but it takes effort. If you do those things... I do recommend that you take a month and you lurk the forum so you get a feel for the community. You don't wanna just plunge in there and start spouting stuff until you get a feel for what the people who are already there and what the tenor of what they're talking about is so that you don't make the wrong kind of waves. So always get to know your community first, yeah. If you're gonna go in as a poster, that's been a practice of mine since the start. Lurk the place for a month, before you jump in with two feet, or at least know
2: the people who are running it. That's that's so. That's excellent advice, and uh, I've noted everything you mentioned. That's thank you so much. <laughs> I'm going to be busy. Uh, um, I never thought about it. Yeah, <laughs> more things to do. <laughs> but thank you, really.
1: And they do moderate that forum. It's 2 million people, but they do not permit unkindnesses to happen there. The mods will kick people out or come down on them. They follow their rules very strictly. But self-promotion is a big no. You have to come in there and just contribute. But every single review you do, every written review could be posted there. They allow you to post your reviews, just not Mm. the link to the review. You have to put the content on that page. Mm.
2: Right i have an account i haven't used it in a very long time i had the impression people being very angry there um but then again i was just commenting on other stuff it never even occurred to me to write my own you know that was an option but uh, yeah if it is i'll look into it
0: the thing the nice thing is about about that in a place like even our fantasy is that you're not beholden to the algorithm because i think When you Mm. get on Twitter or another platform, if you're not consistent, it'll punish you for not being consistent. So if you take a few days off, you could lose the momentum you gain. So then you end up falling back and it's like you're on a treadmill and you have to keep running a certain pace. And who has time for that? It's just, it's exhausting just thinking about it.
1: If you understand the algorithm of how that forum turns over, you can definitely spring it to your advantage. Um, you want to catch, you want to put up your post right about 11 o'clock Eastern time between 10 o'clock and noon, because you're going to catch the people coming on the East coast off for lunch hour. You're going to catch the West coast people coming to work. You definitely do not want to post there at nine o'clock at night because it skews towards North America. And you're not going to reach as wide of an audience. Nine o'clock at night, though, you will get more California and a little bit more Australia, New Zealand, and sometimes that's a different, different um, viewership. In other words, I noticed certain kinds of posts sometimes did better at that hour because there were fewer idiots. <laughs> you know, the late night crowd is often the ones who stay up late reading or they watch the esoteric <laughs> mu- movies. So, you know. Lurk the forum for a month and you'll figure it out. But if you want to just sheerly the number of people watching, numbers, you go for that between 10 and noon Eastern time slot because the algorithm is going to favor you. It'll stay on the front page longer. More people will see it. it and so if it's, if it's going to rise, that's the, that's the time to catch
4: in my head, Jenny's running computer programs. There, she's she's <laughs> this. She's She's machine programmed. She's maximized the impact of everything. No, I've everything had to them. do
1: this because I had to survive. <laughs> I had to survive with no promotion from anywhere for since 1995. Zip, it's been me. That's it. So I had to figure out every subversive way that I could contribute to the community and hopefully survive to get this blasted series finished, which I, I succeeded. Yeah. 11 books, okay. but yeah, it's been an uphill battle and I don't like being the troll that's out there all the time, you know? And so I keep my Twitter feed for, for my books and for commenting on other people's books and for listening and following all the YouTubers. That's my book place. And, I will definitely do my promotion there and my announcements there, but everywhere else I go, if it's a general discussion like this or a forum, I will just simply comment on the subject at hand, other books, you know, I'll talk to other people, but it's not about me then. Um, But it's just a matter of you do what you have to do, but you also want to give back and pay forward. Book people are the best. And so I've made a lot of friends.
4: How do you follow that? How do you follow that? <laughs> Who moves the conversation forward now?
2: Well, I, I, I just realized I have so much to learn. Uh, yeah.
4: <laughs> so. Yeah, but ain't, ain't that the case for everything all the time?
2: uh yeah true um but it, it's and that's the thing I, I i i never thought i would be doing this uh not writing i mean uh, certainly not this this is all very new and against all my instincts and things that haven't even occurred to me like again what would be the more suitable time to post i know people you know track that uh, but th- yeah it wouldn't occur to me. I didn't mean, it, I, it's uh, it's enough work to just have the post out. Okay, I can, be, I really need to to up the bar. Yeah. Do
1: you love books? That's the question. If you love books, then that yeah. tactic is going to be rewarding because you will be happy to talk about loving books. If you don't love <laughs> books, then don't do it because people are going to see right through it. I love books. Reading was my escape. It was my pleasure it was my thrill on top of crazy adventures in the real world so i have a deep love of books and so it's effortless for me to hang out with people who have a deep love of books mm-hmm.
4: yes I, so, I love books <laughs> so on, a, on an unrelated somewhat related now like steve like how long have you been running page chewing or, I mean, uh, your booktube channel has kind of morphed into something else, but how long have you been doing that?
0: Um, the forum has been around since 2004. Uh, it's taken on different, um, oh, wow. different different, focuses, I guess, but the page chewing came about two years ago, I think. Yeah.
4: So, because like, my question is to do something right, I mean, or, or like, how many things can you have going on at the same time? Um, to, to, you know, to do it right. I mean, you know, I mean, your your kids are older than mine, but you know, we, we all got jobs with exceptional Jenny who works on what she loves um you know, we' all have jobs we all have I don't have a job no <laughs> I sit
1: around all day eating ice cream and dreaming no. up stories exactly. that was my sister's opinion exactly. of my work
4: exactly exactly <laughs> exactly you you are almost a Japanese school ekigai guy you know you, you work with you love and you do what you anyway some it's of us, a very
1: small fraction of my life but anyway it's a big fraction and it's a small fraction but anyway
4: uh, you know, like we've got jobs, we've got families, uh, reading is not the only thing I do. I like to do long distance running and that takes a fair amount of my time. So like how many things can you have going on in your life at the same time to actually do them relatively well because without spreading yourself too thin.
0: That's the, I guess that's, I don't know. I don't know if I've figured that out yet, but I think, um, it's tricky for sure. But I, I might I just love to do too many different things. And I um I don't know. <laughs> it's tough. But <laughs> like the forum especially it's it's tough because I, I it's something not something that I can do on my own. I, I need other people like all of you to to help to be a part of it. So it's not something that I can just spend all day on because if I'm the only person there then it's like no one no one's there to listen. So it's it takes time to 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 kind of foster the right environment and to get people to to want to be there and have the like a positive place to be and not because you could make something really negative and 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 foster that kind of environment and people will there's certain people who crave that kind of um, negativity and they they're drawn to it but that's not yeah. what I want to you know put onto the world so I, it's tricky so it, it takes time it's it's a it's a long game for sure, especially with something like building the community of, of like-minded people. It takes, it takes time and, and you need really great people to, to help and to be a part of it. So it's, it's tricky. It's tough. It takes time.
3: Well, you've done a great job. I mean, I, I was ecstatic to, to, uh, be invited onto the forum. Um, hmm. and, uh, I've had nothing but positive interaction there. And, uh, it's been uh, it's been very very good place for me to hang out
0: <laughs> yeah, good to hear yeah
3: that yeah. uh but you know as far as finding the time um at, you know i think we ha- i think people generally have more time than they think they have and uh it's just a matter of juggling you know using that time wisely uh, to do the things you want to do. You know, it's like you said, we all have jobs, um, Jose, and, um, and we have, we have families and kids and what have you. And, uh, and so, you know, it's life's a balance like anything else. And, uh, and so, uh, then you do the things you love as well as, and if you happen to be, if your job is doing what you love, then that's, that's even a, even a better uh, situation, you know, but some, uh, you know, not everybody can do that, but, um, we, you know, it's, uh, finding that balance and that, that's a good life balance. If you can put it all together and you've, you, uh, you build that time into your, into your, into your life. If you really
0: love it.
1: Coffee helps.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it <does. laughs> <For sure>. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I just don't like being bored I like to when I'm just sitting around I I don't like to sit around and do nothing I just like to have something something to do all the time otherwise I get I drift off into space and get into trouble so I like to stay busy and do things I mean
4: mean, like because it was something that I talked about over the summer like these days I actually don't have time to be bored because (laughs) between job and the kids and everything else I only get like maybe a couple of hours in the day for me so those two hours am I either training or running or reading or editing for the channel or recording like I I don't until the kids are a lot older I don't get a chance to be bored anymore I've got very limited time but I had to give up things so I gave up writing and I gave up a couple of other things because I haven't got time to actually do a decent job of all those things that I enjoy.
2: That—that's the thing. Is doing a decent job because uh, you always find time to do something else. But the more stuff you do, then the quality drops. And I—I I, I just sometimes I, I look back and I was like, "Well, I, wish I hadn't done that." Because when I do something, I would like to do it well or to the best of my ability. Um, and um, yeah, I, I notice that's the thing with the with the channel my plan you know I immediately realized, it's not gonna it's not gonna work on, on on this schedule i completely underestimated how much time i would need along with everything else because i, I keep joining these group discussions seriously it's becoming an addiction that takes a lot of time as <laughs> well uh, so yeah, at some point you, you're just gonna have to prioritize and and start saying no and just be realistic i guess it's finding that balance it's so hard. And then I'm just talking about writing or promoting, I'm talking about work and family, <laughs> just maintaining your life together. You know, can't all be a hobby.
1: <sighs> yeah, but you can fill in cracks if you get smart about it. You know, I've watched a lot of my peers raise children. I've watched a lot of people that say, oh, I don't ever have time. And I say, look, what do you do right before you fall asleep every night? What do you do the minute you wake up? If you ask yourself a story question or if you have insomnia, you can work out and then you can jot file cards. You can have a file card in your purse or your pocket. You're at work. That idea hits you. You can go to the john and write it down in the toilet if you have to. And when you get home, you'll have a bunch of file cards. You know, that 10 minutes you're waiting for the bus, that moment where you're waiting and drumming your fingers for a business call or a meeting to start. If you start filling in the cracks with creative ideas, then you can string them together when you get that two hours to yourself. But a lot of those two or five, ten minutes are wasted moments. I mean, my grandfather taught himself to play the piano waiting for my grandmother to get ready to go out. And he became a very accomplished musician by the end of his life. Awesome. <laughs> so we don't think we think our lives are too busy, but often there's hundreds of little micro moments that you can fill in the cracks if you gear your mind to use them.
3: I get a lot of reading done waiting for that. So. <laughs>
1: I used to teach myself to play an instrument while I waited for the teapot to boil so I wouldn't burn the pan.
2: (laughs) That's
0: awesome. Good advice again. And, Parmit, I haven't heard from you in a while. Did you fall asleep on us?
1: No, no, I'm awake. (laughs)
0: <laughs> okay. <laughs> want to make sure you just didn't uh, leave us and be like, oh, they won't notice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think Paramita puts the most posts on the forum of any single person. So, yeah, we would notice if she disappeared.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. Um, so on the uh, on the forum, our friend Rick from the forum he has a, a long he posted a bunch of questions that I, a bunch of awesome questions that I try to get a couple in every episode. But uh, one of his questions was, um, well, he has a few questions about reading books that we've already kind of talked about. Um, so uh, one of his questions was, um, how do authors balance telling the story they want to tell? And telling a story that might satisfy the wants of a wider audience is a tough one.
1: No, it's not. No? No.
0: Yeah. Oh, okay.
1: To the wider audience. <laughs> I see this coming. Write what you want. Yeah. <laughs> no. Write what you were born to write. Write what you want. Because look, how many millions of people are on this planet? Billions. Billions. How many does it take to make a hit book? If you sell 100,000 copies of a book, that is a stratosphere, okay? 35,000 is a stratosphere. Most books sell under 2,000 copies or even less. So why are you worried? There are enough people on this planet to support anything you do. I don't care how crazy it is. I mean, the internet will prove that. It's reaching the people who like what you do. That is the key question, not what you should write. What you should write starts here. Then you find the market for it.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Agree. I exactly. agree.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I wouldn't even know what the market wants. It's constantly changing. And I would probably do a very bad job at it because if it's not something that I would personally like or even know how to write, you know, with gender or, or, or style. Yeah, it would be catastrophic. Um, If if I'm not going to sell books, I'd rather not sell the books that I enjoy writing, at least.
1: Who was it last week who posted, or two weeks ago, posted something brilliant on Twitter, and they said, if you write something and somebody hates it, make the next thing you write, make them hate it even more, because that's your niche. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know... That's that's my take on writing for the crowd. You can't. You can't get inside their head. If if everybody knew what was going to sell in advance,
2: they would bottle it and sell it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we kind of... You know, uh, again, we had this conversation in the, in the forum uh, on Google topic about writing erotica on the side. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, that's... I, I guess... I'm seriously considering it because its it, it always sells. There's always a market. It doesn't matter how many werewolves or ghosts or, I, I don't
0: know. Pterodactyls.
2: Even, even for the classics, because <laughs> you know, I know there's really strange stuff going out there. Um, even for the classics, there's always a market.
4: If there's so a, if a is, genre... If you get really desperate, there's always that option, okay? If there's a genre I can't stand is werewolf erotica. I, I can't, I do not get it. I, I cannot believe I'm hearing what I'm hearing. This is just, I, I mistrust any book with mud nipples on the cover. Like that's a big no-no for me. Like that's a no-go place. Um, what, Susanna, seriously? You are considered- Not with
2: werewolves. If, if I ever write, it will be with vampires, okay? And it's always, but, uh... it's
4: always, it's always every book. It's a combination. The titles are always going to have the words alpha, male, and pack. So dominated by the alpha male of the pack, destined yeah. to be with the alpha <laughs> male. Mm, <laughs> you've been reading. <laughs> yeah, you've been <laughs> reading a <that> time. <all. laughs> oh, my wife's addicted to that shit. <laughs> Which probably says something about me in the case, but yeah. I, I Seriously, I can't stand it. I can't stand it. I do not get it. I do not understand it. And every story, how many times can you be dominated by the alpha of the pack? In how many great ways? It doesn't make sense. I just got a death bone from Johnny. But it's
2: true, it's true.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
3: Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs>
1: okay.
4: Uh, <laughs> I actually wrote one. It was, But it weren't were bears. They were werewolves. They Here were, we
1: uh, got a brilliant idea. Let's write a crime thriller about a canine officer whose dog is a werewolf. Alpha male of the pack! Yeah. That's right.
0: That's right. That's right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, that was good. Somebody would buy that book. And somebody would buy that book. They're obviously buying that book because there's so many of them you could drown yourself in them. So, you know, different strokes. Yeah. But you know I'm not gonna stand yeah. between anyone who wants to read oh, a yeah. hundred books like that. And my preference is because, you know, you'd probably end up trampled to a bloody
4: pulp. (laughs) But um, you know, we were talking before about Daniel Steele, right? The most successful Spanish writer of all time, piece of worthless trivia for you people, is not the writer (laughs) of Don Quixote, is not um, Nobel Prize winner, um, what was it? Chilean author? Um, Anyway, it doesn't matter. The most successful Spanish writer of all time, is this lady called Corinne Tellado, and all she wrote was romance novels by the back load back in the sixties and seventies in Spain, and she's the highest-selling author ever in the history of the Spanish language, hmm. and that's what people consumed by the packenload. Uh, but we don't talk about it. We don't boast about it. You know. We talk about Don Quixote, but no, it's um, <laughs> actually um, fairly tame sixties romance. You know, not There's certainly a big market for it, but everyone is too embarrassed to admit to it.
0: Well, I've I've talked to a couple authors that write erotica on the side and their pen name, and there's a a fantasy author that I'm I'm a fan of that. Uh, he had mentioned to me that he he had other projects and I, I just didn't ask because it seemed like it was something he didn't want to talk about, but he never told me his pen name and I had talked to him a bunch of times and come to find out that he's been writing erotica on the side for under a different pen name and I guess doing very well because his other projects has been put on hold because he's having so much success <laughs> writing erotica or whatever it is romance, so you know more power to them I guess they you know so it's an option I guess. <laughs>
4: Yeah, but then surely
0: that becomes
4: a job is not what you want to write about, maybe. I mean, I'm sure some people, that's what they want to write about, but it must be a bit weird if you set out to write the next big epic fantasy trilogy ever, and you end up writing, you know, the alpha and the beta sort of thing. (laughs)
3: Yeah.
2: But you know, if you would get the the fantasy trilogy published, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do. No, because you
4: could you become the beta guy or the beta woman, you know, like unwanted success. Like what what would you do with unwanted success?
2: I have no idea. (laughs) Um I don't know. I mean I joke about it, but probably try and who knows. Maybe I am good about it. Uh, maybe I I'll be good at it and maybe I'll even enjoy it. Um, yeah, writing is writing. I do like to write smut anyway. Uh, I always have to include in, in every book. <laughs> just, just a little <laughs> bit of that. So how hard could it be to just
3: write know, a no, little about No, like...
1: I'm laughing. Not at you. Not at you. I'm laughing. <laughs> He's hiding his face.
3: Yeah, Jose doing that. Doing Jose.
1: Yeah, I'm laughing at Jose. <laughs> Not you. Definitely not you. Uh, it's like, Jose, we know how to get your goat, Jose. You realize. A
4: myth has fallen. We know how to drive you out of the room. <laughs> a, a myth has fallen. I, I, I thought Susana was a, a serious person. This, this admission of enjoying the my smile, I cannot believe I have. I, I just... I,
2: yeah. Anyway, all right. Well, it, it's true. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry to disappoint. Don't read my books then. Don't the, the...
4: No, no, just send, send me a direct message with your pen name for your smart I'll check that
2: <laughs> Okay, all
4: right. You could be my better reader. <laughs> Peter Reader, thank you very much for that. Yeah, I see what you Yeah, watch out.
1: She'll, she'll write a page and she'll, she'll put it at the top in an invisible link. This one's for Jose. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. <laughs> So I'm not your alpha reader, I'm your beta reader, I get it, I
2: see I see I didn't mean (laughs) this.
1: No, no, it's
4: clear, it's clear. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm just derailed. (laughs) (laughs) Steve's just regretting tonight, sorry, Steve.
0: No, I didn't catch that until you mentioned it, but pretty good.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. was
2: my title.
5: I was going to ask everyone: no. Have you actually read uh, some paranormal fantasy or romanticy? Uh Which one have you read, and did you like any of them?
4: No, it's got awful, got awful. I read. I, I can't even. I can't remember what it's called. It's got man nipples on the cover for sure um and it was about were bears and um were bears yeah yeah like, like think it's just this big ice hockey player I think his spare time was a was a grizzly bear but obviously um and then she was a werewolf and then in his spare time so he had a choice yeah but well, I, I, you know, <laughs> it's just, it's just that wasn't and then I just it was like crap, like it's partly written romance. Like you, you can see where it's going a mile away, but anyway. But when I got to the sex scene, it wasn't even erotic. And then do you just know you're in fantasy land. When she describes that they got through a 12 pack condom in the space of four hours or something like that, it's like, no, mate, like, it, doesn't, it doesn't work like that. I don't, I don't, this is, this is just rubbish. This really is rubbish. This is really bad, <laughs> <laughs> and um, it. Uh, I, I don't know if it's trying, if it's trying, or if it was trying to elicit that sort of sense of excitement and arousal and whatever. It just failed on on every level. But it must be fulfilling some some fantasy for some people. Um, And without getting too graphical, I don't understand the need for erotic literature in this day and age of the internet, when you've got at the click of a button all sorts of stuff in video format. So I I, I just don't understand that. and That's why I don't like, I'm not big into romance in my books, and I certainly am not into any sex in in my books, because I don't think it adds anything to the story.
1: You ever read a 1930s Western by men, written by men, John D. MacDonald? Have you ever read gore? Have you ever read, I mean, I've read all that stuff. Not all the gore novels, but I read enough of one or two to know what people were talking about. And yeah, I read A Court of Thorn and Roses, and I read this, that, and yon, you know, Paranormal. I read a couple of those. I read a ton of romance writers. Um, If you go to a person who's writing in that field and you say, what are your top 10 reads in that field? The books in the one, two, and three slots are gonna be amazing. They won't be run of the mill. They'll be exquisitely written, superbly written. I once gave a book by Elizabeth Lowell to my dad and uh, it was pretty much a thriller with romance in it. And he loved it because I had read John D. McDonald. i read Michener. I'd read all the books on his shelf. I said, dad will like this book. The funny part was he read it. He loved it. He went to the bookstore and asked for more by that author. <laughs> and the bookstore person says like, really? <laughs> he didn't realize she was a romance writer because that book functioned perfectly well as a thriller with a little bit of sex in it. So, you know, I've read some of the award winners in many genres, all different fields. The top writers in those areas are gonna be worth the read. There will be something more than just what you think is there. Hmm. But do you wanna read the entire genre? No, not necessarily. But I would never put down those books because if it's romance and it's for women, I can name you 60 or 70 titles I've read where it's absolutely romance for men.
3: Hmm.
1: Yeah, read a John D. McDonald book sometime. And everything is like skimming out of her pantyhose in five seconds, and they're having whatever over the desk. and Over and over, every book. And they're never attached to anybody because every single thriller has a different girl. Girl, okay? They're never women. So anyway... a little more flexible but don't necessarily write off the whole genre because the people who are the top of their field who have won awards often are well worth the read Hmm. there's quality anywhere but you know that doesn't mean unilaterally because sturgeon law you wouldn't say every single science fiction or every single fantasy book you ever read was worth your time either
4: right then your next post on the paid forums should be your recommendation of your top 10 smart books to, to read.
1: All right. I'll take you up on that. Ooh. I'll take you up, up on that. I would read, I'll give you a list yeah, of I would like to know. probably five top notch romance reads hmm. that are just exquisitely well written and well worth your time. And you may not love them, but you have to look at the craft that went into those books and say, this was an incredible read. Hmm. You know, the first Nora Roberts work I ever read was like, um, what was it, Carnal Innocence? It's a, it's a murder mystery that takes place in the South. Nora Roberts has now written thousands of romance novels, and she sells so well, she donates all of her money to childcare for people who are working. Um, she's an amazing person. But yeah, Carnal Innocence is just exquisitely well-written, beautifully done, riveting. And so you have to say the best of any one genre is worth your time, just as looking at the top award winners. We wish the literary community would read some of the top science fiction and fantasy books. And I'm not talking necessarily the popular ones, but the really top-notch ones. And they won't give them the time of day. So... Where do we get off being that prejudice that everything unilaterally under that umbrella is no good?
4: I suppose, in my case, it's just I don't look for that kind of thing. It's just
1: I don't look I don't. for romance either. But if you ask one of those authors, what is the top 10 books in your field? Hmm. I think you would revise your opinion that everything is garbage that's coming out of those pens because it's not. They're writing for a different audience, but the story itself is quality. The language is quality. The the, the way they unfold their craft is, is just beautifully done. So, yeah, my mother, she said, why do people like Harry Potter? How could you stand to read Harry Potter? I said, I read Harry Potter. I loved it. it made me feel like I was six years old again. And that's a gift. At at my age, at the time Harry Potter came out, to be able to feel that magic of when you're six years old. So you know, every book has something in it that's probably worth your time. it's It's a matter of you aren't going to want to read every book and you may not want to wade through everything finding that one book. But I really hesitate to write off any one thing except Gore. <laughs> 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 any one well, genre as not having anything worthwhile.
4: I think we needed someone here then to give you the top five gore books. And, um...
1: <laughs> <laughs> have you read any gore books?
3: I, I, gore, I, right?
4: yeah, I, I, I tried. tried. Yeah. I tried. Gore
1: paid for just about every new author that Daw published. It funded their experiments with new talent. So I do not care for gore, but look at all the writers that we do have because Gore existed. At the bottom line,
3: that's interesting. Hmm. What, what did you check out, Jared? Oh, for the the Gore. Yeah. Uh, I, I think a long time ago, a long, long time ago, it was a, I don't know, one of the one of the uh, the first. Uh, I don't remember, like the Warlord of Gore, something like that. I, I don't remember the names, but uh, it was like the f- the first novel in in one of his series there, yeah. hmm. and uh it, it didn't do much for me. <laughs>
1: Gave I that mean, one to Mallory.
0: <laughs> yeah, Mallory. Mallory. If you remember that
1: yeah, gave it to Mallory. <laughs> uh,
0: to your to your point, Jose, I think well I don't I don't read erotica or romance necessarily, but I do think romance is making it's starting to become more of a of a sub genre of fantasy. I think more fantasy authors are incorporating romance into their books. But I think you mentioned like the appeal of, of erotica in text when you can get on the internet and in a few clicks, pretty much get into whatever you want. But it kind of gives me hope that people still enjoy that that delivery, I guess, with it with not being because it feels. I guess, how can I explain this? It's a it's a different type of um, appeal, I guess, in text or whatever. So. It's, I think it's kind of nice that not everyone is falling into the trap of just getting on and you know getting online and in five minutes seeing whatever they want rather they're taking the time to read a book and to um, even though they it, it, there's not usually not a whole lot of surprises in a romance story I think it's still like I think it's still encouraging that some people still take the time to read the book and to I don't know if I can be this very well. I hope it makes sense. But anyway, no, I'm, I'm gonna shut up now. So
4: no 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 because I like I have got the sound is out.
2: failing a bit, so I, I probably messed off um
4: uh, so, like my my dad was a lecturer at, at university and um, sorry
2: the the sound on my end is all scrambled up. Oh. I was just gonna say now everyone froze. No. <laughs> you back. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, I was just going to say that reading is more for women. That's why it's so popular mm. amongst women. Um, men, they are more visual. Uh, women, they need to read, read in 19, read, um,
1: read Westerns under a male pseudonym on page 35. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. <laughs> the men have their own, but they don't call it that. Trust me. Hmm. Trust me. Go through an old box from a Salvation Army sale of old Westerns that were written in the 50s, 60s, back when men only wrote Westerns. And I can tell you, it doesn't read the same way as women's romantic fiction does. It's definitely seen from a male viewpoint, but I'm telling you, it's there. It's just not crapped on.
2: No, I'm curious. Mm
1: So, yeah, have you ever read a John D. McDonald book or a, um, a what was the guy, Brad Pitt? You know, the men's fiction section. What well, my dad read. We used to swap books around all the time. He read my Dean Kuntz and I read whatever he had that he was picked up and took on his business trips. So, yeah, don't, you know, it's absolutely there. Just it's not called that. And women don't spend their time poo-pooing it because frankly the publishers made a lot of money on those books J- watch a James Bond movie mm. don't tell me that's not male romance it's absolutely the male idea of mm. what they would so you know why are we drawing fences around this is terrible or this is women's fiction and its, it's own little territory and men don't participate in it on their side of the fence because as far as I can see they do and I don't have any problem with that Mm-hmm.
2: No, me neither. Uh, no, uh, Conan now comes to mind, um, to some degree. But um, yeah,
1: I, I not much sex in Conan.
4: Sex. It's just, yeah, although, no. Although all we well, that Conan. Conan had to do for the women to fall for him was was to smack him about a little bit, isn't it? Every single woman in the Conan stories would fall for him straight away. Oh, yeah. What? yeah, that's right. why I said,
2: isn't that sort of like the, the male fantasy that, you know, women just kind of fall at their feet? I don't know. I'm digressing here uh, way past my original point.
1: I don't remember a whole lot of smutty of sex, of sex in Conan. Action. Sorry. It was more heavy-duty action and implied, but um, I don't remember heavy-duty smut in Conan at all.
2: Yeah, it's, no, you know? not, not as erotic or romantic. It was a bad example. I'm sorry. It was it was more the sense of because we're talking about uh 007 and you know as the men's man my my mind went there <laughs> yeah.
1: my mind went a long time ago don't don't worry about it you're in good company
3: <laughs>
0: uh, pardon me since you uh, brought up the question do you have any recommendations for for romance or for Erotica?
5: Uh, unfortunately not. The ones I've tried have not really worked for me.
1: Uh, well, I wait for my premium list. I have to go to the loft and see which title survived. But, you know, how many men are watching Outlander right now? Oh, I... Sorry, but when that bugger came out, that was romance. <laughs> no question about it. That was romance. Absolutely romance. So And now the men are all watching the TV show and loving it, and they're reading the books, and I'm seeing some booktube channels pick it up. So, you know, an interesting book is an interesting book. But it was certainly marketed as romance, and that's certainly where she made her numbers, Diana Gableton, when she came out. And, in fact, I got a quote from her, and my British editor goes, ah, you don't want to put that quote on your book. She's an American romance writer. Really? And, yeah, she was like, no way. She was being a a British you know, and now, boy, has the attitude come 180 on that it, one? Wow,
3: because I, I read, I read the first Outlander novel, and I found it to be more historical fiction than anything else. Um It, it had some, it had romance in it, and it, and it was a little bit of fantasy to start with. But I, uh, f- for for me, it, it felt more historical fiction than anything else. I,
1: the women were not reading it for the historical fiction. <laughs> But that uh, but the point is that it had more appeal than just that. A book yeah. that lasts like that has more appeal. But I'm just saying, look when the men are saying, Oh, I would never touch a romance book, but they're all watching Outlander.
3: Yeah. I definitely watch it. <laughs> it's a good show. Does,
5: I, I does Outlander it. have time I love travel? the books.
2: I can't watch the show.
5: It does.
1: And it does. And people were reading outlanders romance that would poo poo on fantasy, but it's full of time travel. So you know, what are you going to do? I hate boundaries and lines. I hate arbitrary. Mm -hmm. Um, It really pisses me off. So every time somebody starts saying, generalizing, I don't, I'm going to start pushing back. I'm going to be a big fat devil's advocate because you're shutting off some of some really cool experiences, not unilaterally, but why be prejudiced?
4: Well, I suppose because the human brain is categorical, isn't it? And um, you, whatever experience you may have had with certain areas, you then just paint with the same brush everything else in that category. So if you're entering entering to whatever genre you care to name has been not a positive one, you will just brush all of that under the same stroke.
5: I agree with you, Jose, and, Uh I mean, to give you the example of, uh, well, one which is perhaps a bit more male reader centric and one which is perhaps a bit more female reader centric. The male reader centric one is Sword and Sorcery. Every book I have picked up, other than *Elric* by Michael Moorcock, I have like shuddered to my bones uh, at the male gaze. Hmm. Uh, I, I have just shuddered to my bones. And... Uh, it, it, it does not mean anything about the author or about the books or about the readers who enjoy. It's just not for me. And so I cannot continue continue on this futile quest of reading more in something which I clearly don't enjoy. And the same with uh, Romantasy. I will just call it Romantasy, and then it will include Twilight and uh, um, Akotar, which are the two series that I've tried. I read The Whole of Twilight, which is four books. And then I read the first three novels in uh, aquatar and it was not for me. And so I'm not really motivated to go trying for more unless someone really comes out and says, something else is good here, hence. But if that is the main appeal, I'm going to pass. So as you said, like time is limited, and shelving does help. At least it helps me a lot, like quantifying Categorizing, using metrics, it helped me a lot to make reading choices.
1: Did you know that there were female authors doing sword and sorcery?
5: Yes, I have read it. I did not like it very much either.
1: It There was more than one.
5: Uh, I think the one that I've read, I continue to have the issue that I have with sword and sorcery. So,
1: But there was I'm more than one. To. There was more than I'm, one sword and sorcery writer that was female. Just
5: saying. I'm not disagree. I'm not disagreeing with your point, Ms. words But I am saying that I don't think the genre is for.
0: For sword and sorcery, which uh, which authors would you recommend, or what uh, to check but, for someone who wants? Yeah, for someone wanting to look into it.
1: It's a really mixed bag, and a lot of them have fallen by the wayside, like the Lankmar books by Fritz Leiber. Oh, I like Um those. Yeah. Um, there were women. Hardly anybody I know of has read Jane Gaskell's Atlant series. Definitely Sword and Sorcery, totally different. Um, again, I'd have to visit the loft to make you the list of what survived, but when people go, oh, Sword and Sorcery was only written by men, that's totally not true. Just the women have been raced. It, they've hmm. been erased. I would say early on, Andre Norton would have been considered, her witch world would have been considered very and, sword and sorcery. Um, and she's been extremely erased, which is a pity.
3: Yeah. Uh, wasn't didn't Didn't uh, CJ C. Sherry, didn't she do that?
1: Um, well, if you're thinking of the Gate of Ibrel, yeah. it's very yeah. sword and sorcery, but yeah. sort of blends into science fiction very quickly. Yeah, it does, That yeah. book still holds up in many ways. Yeah. Um, that
3: was a good book, yeah.
1: She she really has a knack for psychological interrelationships. And I would say The Expanse really stood on the shoulders of her Alliance Union universe. And she has never, ever given credit for that. Hmm. A lot of the themes that you see in The Expanse, C.J. Cherry did ahead of you. The only element that's missing from the main sequence of her series, of which there's 20-something books or more, there are a lot of them, is it didn't go quite as deeply into horror. You'd have to read her Outer Beyond part of that Alliance Union universe for horror. And some of the scariest books I ever read was one of her Outer Beyond, terrifying. Hmm. It's about an alien encounter. That's just, whoa, it's off the scale. Scary book. So yeah, she's almost been forgotten now. And it's a pity. She was one of the first women to win a Hugo. Um, Her work was very well-received, at one time she did a major epic fantasy, which is lovely fortress in the eye of time, which has a great deal to recommend it. And it certainly has an original theme. So, um, yeah, it almost makes me mad because the Alliance union universe would have been filmable every bit as much as the expanse and she didn't destroy the earth doing it. But, um, but that one's almost never recognized. In fact, one time I mentioned that in a forum, that I felt that was an incredibly powerful precursor to that series. If not it didn't influence it. And boy did everybody I got a resounding thud of a silence. It was like nobody wanted to hear that anything could have come before that. But her work is well worth a read. Hmm.
3: Yeah. And I think even back in Howard's time, uh, there there were some female writers for Weird Weird Tales, if I
1: There were a lot of them.
3: If I'm not mistaken, Then they, they, uh, a lot of times they used initials instead of their full names.
1: They didn't have to use initials. Kate Kate Wilhelm didn't.
3: Oh, that's right, yeah.
1: It wasn't as misogynistic back then in fantasy and science fiction because there were so few readers. It was a very small family, and everybody read everything that everybody wrote. And in fact, I would say that the avoidance of female bylines got very powerfully influential with the internet. It began at 2000. It began with the rise of paranormal fantasy romance. And it began with the misogyny that's invaded the internet. Because we ended up with a lot of the societal flaws. The more readers we got, the more likely that was going to be amplified. But in the earlier days of science fiction and fantasy, totally women's names were not as pushed aside as they are today. And that's one reason why I did not go with a gender neutral or male pseudonym. If I was doing that today in a heartbeat, I would have switched course, but you can't do that in the middle of an 11 book series. So yeah, this is a recent thing. It started around 2000, I watched it happen. And it's a train wreck. That's
2: interesting.
1: If you talk to writers who are self-published, who actually sell their books, women who sell their books over the table at conventions, Ball is is, um, one, and she will tell you if the readers are at the time 45, probably now pushing 50, they're going to read the women. They will come up to her table, they will buy the books, they will listen to her, but the younger crowd below that age group wants nothing to do with a book that was written by a woman, and she sees this on a daily basis. So I've watched it happen, and I've certainly got opinions about it. I don't like to harp on that as a big deal, but it is a problem. And it wasn't always the way it is now. It totally was not. So it it came about with paranormal romance fantasy. It Bled over into the very successful YA fiction where women were expected to write YA. I had editors telling me to abandon what I was doing and write YA I'd have no problem making a living. And I'm going, I'm not writing for children. I've never written for children. Why should I change that now? Just because. So the perception of many readers is if it's a woman's byline, then it's going to have all this romance in it or it's going to be werewolves in fiction or whatever. I don't know. (laughs) Or it's going to be YA, and I have nothing wrong with those kinds of books. Let them have their place. But if you look at the entire arc of what women are writing, that's only a fraction of it. It's just the fraction that the public sees. Prejudice hurts all of us. Does that
4: come from, uh, so uh, at which level does that, come from, from the reader, from the agents, from the publishers. Because sometimes like in movies we see when big studios think that they don't want to take risks, so they start meddling with projects and they end up delivering subpar products which we are seeing recently. Is it something similar in the publishing industry?
1: I think it's endemic to our society because it's in it's it's layered into everything that happens. I mean, women authors are referred to by their first names, not their last names. And male authors are not. Okay. Women writing very deep, intelligent books, they're going to get more slamming reviews. They're going to be more critical, critically reviewed because people coming in don't expect that. And then when they see it, there was a thread, what, yesterday in um, our fantasy or two days ago and it said give me your list of $20 fantasy words and what they meant was authors who use big words and the first person that got to the top of that thread was Gene Wolfe and there was a list this long of words that that author had used that no one had heard of and I read the list and I said wow there's some words on this list I don't even know and I've absorbed so many from reading so many books that I take criticism for my vocabulary. But what was interesting is Gene Wolf is universally lauded for writing books with complex language, complex concepts that you cannot skim, that you have to read very, very carefully to absorb what it is that he's saying. You might even have to read the book twice to get what he's doing. A woman writes a book like that, and I guarantee you she's going to be digging against the stream, let us say. Um, So just, I don't know what to do about it. I can't solve it. I just made the decision when I saw it happening, beginning to accelerate post-2000, that I wasn't going to let my voice be silenced. Um, But it is certainly a problem. And the only way to to fix that problem is look at the books on your channels that you're talking about. Look at your fellow people doing channels. How many of them put out their first quarter books and 90% of them are male? Books that are pulled up as examples in conversation. How many of those books are by women? When women, there was a woman in Egypt who wrote the very first novel ever, first novel ever written that they found in recorded history was a woman. Surprise. Mary Shelley wrote the first science fiction. Somebody pointed out to me a woman author who did the first mystery that was the precursor to Sherlock Holmes and a lot of the mystery writers of that time, they all read her work and were influenced by it. But I guarantee you, I had never heard of her name and you probably haven't either. So it's curious how many times women have created a genre or broken the mold and they're not the ones remembered for it. It's interesting.
4: Is, is it the case that maybe I don't know X, Y, Z, of female author has success in a certain genre, and then publisher publishers are just looking for copycats? Not copycats, but like, but like the same thing. They just try to replicate a formula. So if you're a female writer, you are meant to write like Anne Rice, doing bringing the whole romance into vampires, or. Um, you know, Stephanie Meyer with the whole twilight side. again, you know, teenage romantic vampires. Um, so female authors are just expected to write in the confines of what has been successful before because they're trying to replicate that. That's part of it. That's part of it. part of it. The other part of, of it book. is
1: a lot of the future of a book is going to be shaped by the size of the initial advance. Hmm. More than not, and I don't want to name names because I absolutely don't want to say anything about my peers that could be interpreted in a not-so-good way, the size of the advance equals how hard the publisher's going to market and and push that book to keep it successful. So women have never been paid the scale of advances that men have. Not in those areas. And the areas you were mentioning, Jose, yes, but not... In the areas where I'm talking, where women have a hard time, there are other genres where they have an easier time, no question, and a and a male writer would have a harder time. Depends, but that preset expectation is very hard to break.
4: Sorry, I'm just wondering where that comes from. If it's driven by the audience, or is driven by the by the publisher in in this in this case
1: somebody just mentioned to me how come and i forget the woman's name she wrote a book called um something about um the single wife i forget the title and i forget her name she outsold the great gatsby by a lot and yet everybody's heard of the great gatsby nobody's heard of this woman I can't explain why this is, it's just that it is the way it is. Yeah. I don't have the
0: answers.
3: Yeah, if, even if you did, it would be a very long answer, most
0: likely. <laughs> well, I think part of it is, uh, I think, again, I think putting, putting, pe- journaliz- journalizing and putting people in boxes and saying, this was successful, so let's try to replicate this, kind of like what you mentioned, Jose, about. Just like Hollywood, I think they they see a certain type of movie being successful and they try to make just a factory of the same kind of movie and it just doesn't I think 99%,
1: 99% of the problems are invisible. If you look, look at what happened to certain orchestras where they went to blind auditions, where the musician played behind a curtain and the people deciding the audition for that symphony could not see the person playing their percentages of women went to 45% in the orchestra. And I figure 45%, it's not 50-50. Some women are raising families, okay? So that you will have some attrition because women have pregnancies, et cetera, and can't maintain a concert schedule. But blind auditions are a thing. We, there was one really well done write-up of a woman who had tried to submit to agents for years. She decided as a as a lark in a fit of pure furry one weekend to change her pseudonym to a male pseudonym and send them out to the same agents. She had four responses before the weekend was even over to read her, to send the whole manuscript or this shows so much promise, get it on my desk by Monday. And as a woman, she had spent two years under a female name trying to do the same thing. So there are enough, what was the other one that was striking? It was someone who had started presenting as male, and was writing academic papers, and went through a transition, put out papers under the woman name, going forward, and actually had peers tell them, well, her brother's work is better. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I could go on all day with examples like that, but I mean if if there was not that invisible, I'm not pointing fingers at the people who are alive today saying, Oh, you go around all the time just squishing women. You don't, it's inbuilt. I don't think people even realize they're doing it. It's the expectation.
3: Yeah. It's a systemic problem.
1: Yep. Wow. What was it? When I was growing up, there was no girls' to- aisle and no boys' aisle in the toy store. You could go in and it was all the toy aisle. It was Disney that started dividing the aisle between little boys and little girls. And well, look what that, we're paying for that shift right there because that's girl stuff. Don't be caught in that aisle. Whereas when I grew up, there wasn't a divided toy aisle. The, the cars were on the same aisle as the doll's. Didn't matter, you, you went for the toy you wanted and there was no gender attached. So things have truly changed and marketing mm-hmm. is responsible for a lot of it.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, Jose, uh, I, I, I I I get really angry with this. Go on, Paramita.
5: Um, uh, Jose, uh, when you asked the question, I was thinking and I thought of four examples, and uh, I think it was actually the publishers to uh, answer your question, whether it was the audience. It was a bit, little bit of the audience. Certainly, I was the audience for two of the examples that I'm talking about. Uh, one was Harry Potter. When Harry Potter came out, uh, I remember when uh, maybe we were waiting for the fifth or sixth book like this, bookstore was flooded with like Aragon, Artemis Fowl, uh, There was was one more series which was very popular. Aragona cover, I remember clearly. Artemis Fowl, I remember clearly. But I mean, there was that tremendous search for the next Harry Potter. Um, Then was, I don't know whether, uh, yeah, I think then was Twilight. Because the first book came out, it was tremendous success. Tremendous success. Then is 2011, the show, Game of Thrones. The Hunger, Game, the Hunger Game, is- the
1: Hunger Game, Hunger Games was in there.
5: I have not read the Hunger Games.
1: No, so but I, I mean I- that was in that, and the Anne Rice, the Anne Rice books and the vampire books were before what you were mentioning with the Harry Potter. So there were a lot of books that came out that made big marks that affected the current of what was happening. So go on, Paramita. What was
5: Oh, um, so the third one was Game of Thrones and then there was this I have seen it repeatedly on blurbs, you know, something Graham of Thrones or something me Game of Thrones. And the last one, which I think is still ongoing, I don't know whether the Game of Thrones is ongoing, but this one is ongoing is Madeline Miller with Song of Achilles in 2011. It became popular a bit later. And then Cersei was 2018. and that is Greek retelling. And now it is, it is flooded with Greek retellings. I mean, there's Ariadne, there's Electra, there's things. So I think there is uh, some kind of attempt to motivate something that is selling well, if that can be replicated, and if that can find an audience. Because Aragon also did very well. As I, I didn't read it at the time, but I remember it was very popular. And Artemis Powell, also, I also liked very much. So maybe it's built into that craze a bit. I don't know. Game of Thrones is very hard. I have not read anything which has quite, like anything that has been loved as this is Game of Thrones. I have not found that vibe. Same
1: with Harry Potter. The distribution market where the distributors like Ingrams and Baker and Taylor used to warehouse the books. So the publisher printed them. They would send them to the distributors warehouses. The distributor would in turn distribute to the bookstores about, 2010, the distributor said, We don't want to pay for the warehouses anymore. We're going to downsize. Now the publisher got to warehouse everything. They did it just like that. And the publishers are suddenly, We don't have room to warehouse all of the books. We only can warehouse what just came off the press. They were triaging books. They were forklifting through pallets of books to move them out of the way to make room for the frontless book that they had that was coming off press and destroying books because the middleman said, we don't want a warehouse anymore, we're gonna cut that expense. So the impacts, these are just a fraction of the impacts of what modernization has done to major publishers. So when you say, oh, it's a dinosaur, they couldn't react fast enough to the downsizing. Originally, the department of a publisher would have had 12 people working and they would have had an in-house proofreader, an in-house copy editor, In-house marketing people, the staff that ran a publishing house that were actually employed by a publisher was pretty large. You know, Doubleday or one of those big houses before they all crashed together and merged. Now they outsource all of that stuff. Your editors are running an apartment on maybe three, four people. They're so overworked. They're frantic. They're not being paid much more than what you would feed your collie. And they're in meetings all day, profit and loss meetings, marketing meetings. They're doing all of the the um, electronic stuff that their higher-ups don't want to do. So they're running the internet. They're doing all the stuff with the tech that their seniors don't want to do. And they have no time even to read. They're editing on the subway. They're editing on their weekends. So the, the difference in in what downsizing and what the corporate profit model has done to the actual running of the industry is just horrendous. It's bad. So, yeah, Parameda, you were wondering why there's an echo chamber going on here. The profit and loss statement, the Harvard business model, the insistence that on 20% profit, and those four people in that department, they don't dare say anything against corporate because they're out of a job. So they play the corporate line to keep... W- keep themselves going and hopefully go up the corporate ladder. But it's a mess. It's a mess. It's, it's nothing like we do this because we love it anymore. It's almost how can you keep a job like that and still love books and come out of it enjoying what you do every day? It's insane.
2: Indeed, I, I had no idea. So, Yeah, so, you
1: know, the, the the people caught in the gears of a major publisher who are not the front list, who are not the next Game of Thrones, who didn't get the six, seven-figure advance, um, they're faced with the same problems the self-publishing people have, but they don't have your community. So there's, it's, it's crazy. So to me, it's like we're all in this together, and working together, we can solve it, and working together, we can help each other and putting aside those prejudices, we can do more for our readers and our creators, um, but Mm -hmm. it's gonna take a village.
2: Yeah, I I get really um, (laughs) upset uh, whenever it's, I, I understand that it's, probably well intended but whenever people say oh here's the best you know fantasy written by women or sci-fi written by women or even in shops online shops you do have you know the women's section usually now piled up with our gtv session which is let's not go there Uh, but if there's one activity one thing that it really doesn't matter if you know write a book. it doesn't matter if it's man or a woman writing it why make this distinction you know I really really yeah personally upsets me um I uh, because I, I don't care for the name of the author uh possibly I think my favorite authors are actually men but I that's because it's so hard to find I'm, I'm taking notes and names um it's very hard to find anything that I would like that written by women in those genres. Uh, and unless it is on those lists and is usually the Greek retellings, yes, let's not go there either. Um, just keep popping up. and the, it, it it is a shame, and I, I really feel it. Had I known that it was that bad, uh, I, I would not have used my name because it's it's really not working in my favor at all from from the beginning and yeah it upsets me it makes me sad more than upset these days i'm just excited
4: generally speaking and obviously at the risk of being at at the risk of generalizing male authors and female authors tend to have different strengths um so like someone like robin hobb does amazing character work and amazing character excuse excuse me
1: she (laughs) Changed her byline. <laughs> exactly. Mid-career. Have you ever read Megan Lindholm?
4: I know, Did you I know ever read? I
1: Uh-huh. I and it was it was a carefully orchestrated
4: move. I, I am no no, I am aware, but the point I was trying to make is that her from the way you know I'm just a humble reader, she seems to be stronger on the whole... How
1: many, how TV. many, how many female authors have you written that are not writing within the lines of what's considered female strengths
4: no no I, like no i think that in general like i've read you know robin Hall, through the caravan ursula again uh, they, they tend to be stronger on the character work whereas male authors tend to be stronger maybe on the action set pieces maybe on the on the sort of plot side of things. Guy K, think,
1: Guy K smashes that argument
4: to bits. Uh, as I said, I, I did preface the whole argument at the risk of being, you know, at the risk of generalizing, you know, obviously you can always find in your normal distribution of authors, you can find your, your things. But I think in general, there are subtle differences um, in, in that.
5: Uh, I, I will say, uh, Jose, as a reader, I personally, uh, especially in science fiction, not so much in fantasy, but in science fiction, I try to seek out female authors because um, sometimes the things that are there by male authors, sometimes, as I, as you said, you know, like you, your first two or three entries in a genre are, you know, tainted, and then you're just put off. So that's why I try to seek out female authors. In general fiction also, I try to seek out female authors. Um, I think they speak to me more, not the classics, not like very old ones. Old ones, actually, Dickens is my favorite. But um, in contemporary general fiction, I have had more success with female authors. And uh, I do enjoy uh, what is labeled as women's fiction in in the general fiction category. I mean, I, I, I quite like it. And I mean, yes, I, I mean, I have not tried what is, I don't think there's anything called men, men's fiction, is there? I don't know. No. But,
2: yeah, but there, I mean, is. If,
5: there is. But I mean, there is, there is. Mean, but I mean, if there's women's fiction, I, I quite enjoy it. So uh, I don't know, like uh, as a reader, I have found something which will give me some good recommendations and I'm happy. <laughs> That's sort of my, my, my limit of my take.
1: So yeah, I would say, Jose, go read Stephen Donaldson's A Mirror of Her Dreams and A Man Rides Through. Um, It will not have the rap that his Covenant series does, even though everybody says, oh, the the one scene. (laughs) That book has more depth in it, and it was the least gratuitous rape scene written anywhere in fantasy, but you're not no. going to fight the uproar you'll get on the internet. Read Morden Sneed for character work, and I think you'll find there are male authors who do incredible character work.
3: Even the even the second the second Covenant series, his Lyndon Avery character is just outstanding. And uh, um,
1: yeah, for a psychological depth, I mean, yeah. the Covenant series absolutely. Does its job, and if you read the essays that Donaldson wrote as to what he was actually trying to do with that series, mm-hmm. he was trying to illuminate how the subconscious mind works and how we put aside the beautiful parts of ourselves and we focus on the ugly. Yeah. And he wrote an entire series that absolutely demonstrates that, gorgeously well. But modern readers come along and knee-jerk throw their their modern opinions all over it, and you until it ex- yours the incredibly powerful thing that he did when he set out to write that work so if you don't want to read that one which has that rap all over it go read Morden Sneed and if you want it really dark go read his Gap Cycle but Stephen Donaldson does exemplary character work so does Guy K and I could compile you another list of male authors who do incredible character work it's just they're not going to necessarily be the top of the clickbait bestseller lists. Because I think some readers don't look for that in a mail-written book. Doesn't mean it isn't there.
0: Hey, you muted. You muted, <laughs>
4: Oops, sorry. Um, I was gonna say, that's an idea for your YouTube channel, Janice Loft you come up with lists of books from your (laughs) stash of books up in the loft because you need oh
1: my loft yeah (laughs) i've read so many books i have read so many books i read the library before i ever discovered science fiction and fantasy i was reading the agony and the ecstasy at 14 because it was on my parents bookshelves um, I read Deliverance because a high school teacher gave it to me. Boy, that would make DeSantis's head explode. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I've read everything upside down and sideways, you know, and doesn't mean that I loved everything I read, but it was an education. I grew up reading black writers, too, and I think it changed how I think now for the better um, because I didn't discriminate. You know, I read historical fiction, I read mysteries, I read women's books, I read men's fiction, I read sword and sorcery, whatever I could get my hands on. I was reading it. So um, that's why I get crazy when the algorithm just drowns stuff. Because I see people all the time, young, bright, erudite booktubers saying there was nothing worth reading in the 90s or the 80s. Uh, that's horrible. <laughs> And I'm going like, this was pre-internet. It's because you don't know what was really there. Yeah. Um, so that, that kind of opinion just makes me explode. And it doesn't mean that though everything that was written was dated or had male gaze or had embedded values. Um, there was every kind of experimental work being done then. It just didn't sell because not in quantity. It was happening on the fringes. So I've often said the best work, the most revolutionary work, still happens on the fringes. It doesn't reach the mainstream center until somebody else does that idea 20 years later. So there's a wealth of stuff nobody's discovered that's certainly as good as anything being produced today.
4: No, I I can't see that for
0: sure. I can't see that for sure. So I, I just look up now and I didn't realize it's been two and a, two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's uh, getting late for, uh, for all of you on the other side of the world. But, uh, before we go, uh, Jenny, will you tell us where people can find you?
1: Um, if you spell my name correctly, last time I looked, I was the only person with that spelling of my name anywhere. So you'll find my website. I'm on Twitter. I have a Facebook fan page, so there's announcements goes up there. I'm on Steve's forum. I pop in and out of our fantasy now and again. I have a Goodreads account. I will see a message sent there. And I have a forum for Paravia. It's small and it's kind of quiet, but so I'm there too. So I'm not hard to find. I'm not one of these people has to build a fence. (laughs) I I love readers and I love talking to them about any kind of books.
0: My list always grows whenever we have a, <laughs> a talk. Mm-hmm. Like twenty tabs open with books. Uh, and uh, Susanna, working people, find you in your work.
2: Um, I'm mostly on X these days, um, Vero and Facebook as Chronodendron. But if you Google my name, you, you'll find the website, and I'm on Goodreads as well, and of course, Patreon forum. Not hard to find at all. And I also love to talk to people. So get in touch. I always reply.
0: And Susanna is in the uh, day 200 and something on the 365 day challenge. I think you're
2: 172. I think. Yeah. Um, I'm on the last 100. Uh, I will will do it. (laughs)
0: Yeah. Well, what we're referring to is uh, on Vero or on some sites. You, you you take up a challenge to take a picture every day, and post it, and for a whole year, every day. Just it's a way to, um, mm-hmm. I don't know, just to be creative and do something every single day. It's it's not always some <laughs> but yeah. So it's pretty neat. So everyone, go check that out. For those of you who uh, who are curious about it, uh, Jared, mm-hmm. where can people find you and your life there? Mm I,
3: I'm at the fantasy thinker on YouTube and, um, I am also, uh, that's, that's also my Instagram handle. If anybody wants to find me there. Um, and, uh, I'm also on the page chewing forums quite a bit.
0: And Jared has an excellent blog on the page, on the front page WordPress. Everyone go check that out for sure. Uh, Creative crossroads. That's uh, what I called it. Yep. (laughs) And Jose.
4: Yeah, thank you. I'm on Jose's Amazing Worlds on YouTube, and I've got an Instagram bar. I'm thinking of closing that I am because I hate social media, so I'm not <laughs> going to promote that here. And also, obviously, on the page chewing forums.
0: Nice. And Parmita? Uh,
5: I'm around on the page chewing forums almost every day, so I can be found there.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks to all of you for hanging out. I know it's the time just flies, and before I notice, hours later um, but thank you everyone for coming by and hope everyone has a great weekend and we'll talk to everyone soon
1: thank you for hosting steve thank you so much for
0: bye having bye. me see. I had have you. a great time
2: bye
0: thank you it everybody. was great
1: meeting you guys i will put that list of books up oh, um, yeah. on the page chewing form mm-hmm. i will do that
0: we're waiting Good. <laughs> yeah
4: smart recommendations from jenny